Are you feeling like you've lost some brain cells since the pandemic began? Forgetful, foggy headed? Well, welcome to your brain on lockdowns. Lack of stimulation, loneliness, and increased stress and anxiety can all cause the brain to run like a car engine on bad gas. And that is no good. Leading professor of neuroscience, Dr. Wendy Suzuki, joins me now to talk about what's going on and how to protect yourself from it. The good news, it is reversible. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, even if you're foggy-headed, to rate and review us when you're done so that we can help even more people. I just saw live come up. Live okay, up. then we are live. Excellent. All right. Hi, Land. I'm switching my... I was just joking with our guest, Wendy Suzuki, Dr. Wendy Suzuki, about the fumbling at the beginning of all the Facebook lives, because as I push the button, I talk about it all the time. Anyway, so, and then Facebook had the audacity to change their interface, which totally confused my little non-tech brain. Uh, lucky I'm talking to a neuroscientist today about brains and learning and adjusting. So welcome, I'm Sarah Heiner, and you're on our health, our bottom line health and happiness show. And has your brain turned to mush at all during the pandemic? Uh, because mine has, in spite of working for hours a day, in spite of interacting, having people in the house, I haven't necessarily been locked in like so many people have badly quarantined, but nonetheless, it's affecting our brains and a lot. And, you know, if you're alone, if you're in isolation, even more so it affects your health, it affects your mental stability, it, it affects your memory. And we're going to find out what's really going on and then what you can do to protect yourself. A couple reminders, as always, if you have questions, hop on into the chat and put them in here and I will, they will be passed along by my friendly assistant um, who will be sending them to me. Hence, when I'm looking down, it's really because someone's talking to me to tell me what you're asking. Um, and also we have our growing library of these Facebook lives. They're in the um, video section of the bottom line page. They're also on our YouTube channel. So go to the YouTube channel. Um, brand new ones, it usually takes about a week or so to get them in there, but I've got a growing library, hundreds of videos actually that are on our YouTube page. Um, and they're sometimes easier to access than Facebook. Um, so I thank you for being here though today, but you can check that out. It's Bottom Line Inc. is the page on YouTube. Also, the best thing you can do to avoid the pandemic and to avoid getting sick, flu, COVID, no matter what, is have a strong immune system. You know, they talk about masks, they talk about social distancing, they talk about quarantining, but they don't talk about making sure that you're healthy and strong. That's what you have bottom line for. Um, so our editors put together a great free download. Please download it. Please share it with your friends about things that you can be doing to strengthen yourself. You cannot pass along a sickness if you do not get sick. So what we want to do is help you not get sick. So download that. There will be a link in the bio as well. Um, I think that's all that I have to remind. I may come up with a reminder later on, but with that, let me introduce Wendy Suzuki, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Um, hold on, let me change this. And hi, welcome. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I love seeing you. Um, you, know, you and I have known each other years ago, we met, and so and you've been in the publication, which has been a fabulous contribution to the publication, and now it's great to talk to you. Um, in more depth. All right, so let me let everyone else, if anybody has not seen Wendy, she she's all over YouTube. She's been, she speaks all over the place. She's on the media, she's done TED Talks, but let me give her official introduction so you can know how impressive she is. Um, she's a, Wendy Suzuki is a professor of neuroscience and psychology in the Center for Neuroscience at New York University in New York. She's done extensive and highly acclaimed research on brain plasticity and our ability to form and retain long-term memories. 
Um, and I clearly can't remember anything because I have to read all the details, um, but I want to get them right. Um, including the impact of exercise on learning memory and overall brain development. She's got a bunch of, a bunch of information on that out there. So important exercise, great research on it, but we're not talking about so much today. Um, as I said, Wendy's frequently interviewed all over the media. She's a frequent lecture, lecturer on brain development, including her TED Talk on brain health. Um, and she's the author of Healthy Brain, Happy Life, a personal program to activate your brain and do everything better, which is a great book. And for a neuroscientist, um, may I say, it's very well-written and very easy to read. Thank you. So, I appreciate that. And let's give a little plug. Um, you have a new book that's coming out in the next year about yes, anxiety. It's called Good Anxiety, Understanding the Most Misunderstood Emotion. It's a new take on everyday anxiety and what you can do, how to understand it from evolutionary, from a practical sense. And I'm just so excited about it. So it's going to be great. And we will certainly talk again. We will certainly get you into the publication as well when, when that occurs. Because needless to say, anxiety anxiety was big before, but seems to be getting even bigger and you yes. know, through all of this. Yes. Perfect time to talk about it. Exactly. Um, and give me your website, please, so that everybody knows where they can learn more about you. Simply wendysuzuki.com, one word, wendysuzuki.com, and everything from my academic stuff to my books, to my talks, to my podcast are all there. Perfect. All right. Now, high level, what, yeah. what's going on? So everybody's, so not like, not everybody's been totally in isolation. There are many people who have been in isolation. People, thankfully, like where I am in Connecticut, we've been tight, but not totally, I'll call it in jail, in COVID jail, mm. but nonetheless, our brains of different stimulation, stress, anxiety, give, give the high level picture of the soup that we've all been kind of brewing our brains in over the last mm. nine months. Yeah, I think we as a country and we as a population, a world population have dealt with such an unusual situation that caused uh, a, a, an extraordinary amount of stress and anxiety to the population. So overall, there is much more serious things. There are many more serious things to worry about uh, today than there were this time. Uh, is it true this time last year? Yes, this time last year. Um, and so just simply thinking about stress levels, anxiety levels, that is kind of internal uh, changes that, that suggests higher levels of cortisol that we have. Uh, and if you add on top of that isolation where loneliness can spike even higher, um, I, I'm always, uh, I was, have always been struck that there is a minister of loneliness that was uh, uh, appointed in Great Britain to address the widespread effect of loneliness before COVID. Right. And now that could be even, even worse. So the high level is that we are experiencing uh, unusual levels of stress and anxiety these days. And, and that has an immediate effect on your brain. Right, and I wanna break down, because I think I kind of broke it down and tell me if you agree that there's the stress anxiety impact on the brain, the loneliness impact on the brain, and then the environment impact on the brain. And you, you talk a lot about where you did the, the rat experiment where they were what you call in Disneyland. Yes. That the more stimulating environment that they were in, the more that their brains grew and their ability to remember, remember things. Right, um, right. Whereas now we're in you know, the desert. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're, we're in the desert and it could easily become the desert. However, the other kind of uh, um, bright side is that there are so many more ways to connect to um, interesting things to learn. Um, one of the things that I've experienced is um, I am in contact with more of my family across the world than I ever have been in the last five years. Because now I have an excuse to say, oh, let's Zoom together, right. including a cousin of mine uh, in Tokyo, Japan, that I only get to see, you know, maybe once every seven, eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. And now we're in contact literally once a week, just checking in. Right. And um, so, so uh, there, are, um, uh, there are many situations that make it much more isolating, but there's also opportunity there as well. So I want to kind of balance this conversation, yeah. yes. acknowledging that, but but also pointing out that um, uh, Zoom is not just for Zoom fatigue. Zoom can help us connect. And you and I were just talking about our connection points. You with Facebook Live and being able to connect with all the amazing speakers that I know are in that amazing library. And me with my, uh, I do a Sunday tea meditation with friends and they sometimes invite their friends so I never know who's going to show up right and would I rather have them around my dining room table yes but I love connecting with them just for you know five ten minutes on on a Sunday morning over meditation so um so there are different ways uh perhaps not optimal ways to connect, right. but, but uh, um, this has kind of presented opportunities for new ways to connect. Yeah, and I we're gonna, so after we're gonna talk about, the, we'll talk about the destruction that we'll talk, we'll talk about the growth. Okay. Um, okay. And, the, and I think also, you know, you, I just made a note, you, you point out here that we've had to be so creative. I mean, we really have exercised the brain in terms yes. of there's been a lot, and everyone's talked about there have been silver linings of, the pandemic and yes. I think the creative solutions to things and creative ways of connecting and creative ways of classes or your group meditation or whatever it is. So I think that that really has been an interesting exercise and, and great. So we'll talk about also how else for people to do. Yes. Um, so let's again, start at the basic because I was joking, you know, when, when you and I first came on in terms of the, you know, call it the, you know, the brain dead, right? Like how much, how much I can't remember anymore. So let's talk about just stress and anxiety to start with. And, yeah. you know, you kind of intrigued me when you were saying that just the concept of the shutdown and the pandemic, et cetera, um, threw us all into a cortisol bath in some ways, the anxiety rose. Mm -hmm. And did that just for starters across the board lay the groundwork for the impact of stress and anxiety and everybody and just basically made all of our brains vulnerable. Yes, yeah. So long-term, so uh, cortisol can be helpful in a, in a, uh, in a um, uh, emergency situation. It can get you out of emergency. But what is, has been terrible uh, is that since March, there has been higher levels of cortisol. You know, what's gonna happen? How long is this shutdown gonna last? Oh, it seems to be uh, um, getting better. Oh no, it's actually getting worse now. So uh, that, uh, what's really bad about cortisol, cortisol alone is not bad. Long-term increases of our levels of cortisol, that is what causes um, the long-term increases. And you could understand that based on how it helps us. So in an emergency situation, what happens? 
All the blood co comes away from our digestive system and goes into our muscles so we can run away. Right. And so that's great. That's helpful if I have to get away from a lion. But if I keep that uh, far, uh, keep the blood away from my digestive system for a long time, what happens? Ulcers, digestive problems. These are the things that happen with long-term stress and anxiety. Um, also, heart rate goes up because you're running away from the lion in that emergency situation. Well, what happens with long-term stress is that that increase in heart rate, that increase in, in that, that tone of, of fear um, can lead to heart disease as well. Um, um, uh, um, in addition to the, uh, um, um, to the kind of digestive problems, um, there are, there are long-term reproductive problems that can happen. Uh, one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite uh, um, neuroscience writers and uh, incredible neuroscientist, Robert Sapolsky, uh, who studies stress uh, in baboons and people alike, is that when there's an emergency, there is no time to ovulate. I'm sorry. Just, that goes out the window, no more ovulation. And that's what happens in an emergency, no ovulation. But if you keep your mind in, ov in, in ovulation, in right. emergency state all the time, right. you can imagine what that does to well, your to your reproductive system. Well, the, the species couldn't, I, I couldn't take care of a child if I'm in an emergency. Like yes, it's exactly. a safe environment. It makes, nature is so fascinating. It is, right. it is amazing. It is amazing. And it's also fascinating to think how it evolved over millions and millions of years to protect us from dangerous lifelines. I mean, physical, real dangers that you and I are really not that often yeah. in the face of, but now translate it to, um, oh my God, I'm worried about my taxes. It's gonna be tax time, time soon. And that will keep you know keep the stress up until, until yeah. April uh, um, 15th, uh, or, or obviously the obvious one, COVID yeah. and, and the vaccine, is the vaccine safe? All these things. And, and um, we weren't, we did not evolve to have this constant worry about about these things, uh, but but this is what this is what's happened to our um, uh, to our uh, stress and and fight or flight system uh, in a negative way. So that's what we're dealing with. Um, now, yeah. That same cortisol and that same fight or flight does things to the brain. It impacts parts of the brain as well. Is that yes. right? So one, uh, actually there's two brain areas that are very, very susceptible to um, higher cortisol levels. Number one is a structure called the hippocampus, which is critical for our ability form, to form and retain new long-term memories. The hippocampus has one of the highest levels of what's called cortisol receptors. You can't affect cells in the brain unless that brain cell has a receptor, which is basically an, a door um, by which that, that hormone, in this case, cortisol, can have an effect. Right. Hippocampal cells has, have high levels of cortisol receptors. So once you have that, that uh, cortisol uh, being up, not just for an emergency, but for constantly because of COVID, you start to damage. And what do I mean by damage? You can, you can literally start to uh, trim away and make smaller and stubbier your big, beautiful neurons in the hippocampus. Uh, and eventually with high levels of stress that you see in PTSD patients, those cells literally die. This is, this is part of the, um, this is part of the foggy brain. This is part of the memory deficits. Like, oh, how come I couldn't, I can't remember things as well anymore. Uh, it is that cortisol level that's affecting your hippocampal cells. 
And uh, to make it even worse, the other brain area that is very susceptible to high levels of stress and cortisol is the prefrontal cortex. Uh, probably uh, uh, the, the focus and attention area, uh, number one area that is helping us uh, uh, fight brain fog to keep us focused, alert, and um, uh, keeping track of things. That brain area is also very susceptible, lots of cortisol receptors, and uh, can is susceptible to the, these high levels. These are the brain areas that you want working best when you want to be able to make the best decisions uh, in your life, for example, in a pandemic, you have lots of important decisions to make. And so it, it uh, understanding it that way is another motivation for trying to understand how can I get my stress levels down so that my brain can work better. Now, how about also, I read about the amygdala, which is the ancient brain and emotions and fear processing, that that actually can also, I think, grow from cortisol and from stress, which yes. means we're almost you know, conditioning ourselves to be more receptive to stress, less receptive yeah. to memory and more receptive to stress. Yes, absolutely. There are, um, it's a very important brain structure that is involved in the um, uh, um, perception of threat in uh, fear responses in that fight or flight response. And there are now lots of studies showing that in situations where uh, you are um, dealing with lots of fear in, in depression, for example, there are higher levels of activity in the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex um, than in normals. And also in uh, on the reverse side, uh, people that are um, in stress reduction meditation programs have shown to have a decrease in density of the amygdala. So the more their stress goes down, the more the density of their amygdala goes down. So Yes. So these changes then, they're not, they may or may not be permanent, depending Absolutely. on how you address them, because yes. our, our brains, our brains are rewiring and, and changing the talk about brain plasticity. So they're right. adapting to this environment and we can potentially, and we'll talk about solutions later, adapt back. So we're not yeah. doing it forever. Exactly. So that has been really the core of my research program since I started uh, um, studying neuroscience way back as a freshman uh, in college. Uh, this concept of brain plasticity, which is the idea that um, this is really one of the most extraordinary things that our brains can do. It can grow and shrink and adapt to the environment around us. You put yourself in a stressful, uh, uh, fearful environment and your brain is going to respond. Your amygdala is going to grow. Your uh, brain cells that are sensitive to cortisol levels are gonna to start to shrink. But you put your brain in a powerful environment. And I don't mean just you know sitting back and eating bonbons. I mean that the brain grows with stimulation. You are being um, uh, uh, challenged with interesting questions, problems to solve but not constant stress. It, it, it's, it's, a, uh, it's the mindset, it's the growth mindset that for one person, it could be a completely stressful situation for the other. It could be a, uh, a motivation to grow and stand up to the challenge that those two brains will, will respond to that situation in a very, very different way, exactly the same situation in a very different way. And that's part of the beauty um, of, of brain plasticity as we understand it. I think that was one of the most exciting things that I realized that your brain, you always, you always think of that you're cooked, right? And, yeah. um, and you're not. And I think that, you know, the, 
we're forever talking about the message of self-empowerment. I talked about it before, and I hate the word empowerment, but I don't have a better word. So if anyone has a better word than empowerment, please put it in the chat box and let me know. Um, but you know, with immunity, I'm talking the same thing, that we have power yes. to take care of ourselves. Our bodies are amazingly magical things if, yes. if we know what to do and we let it give it the environment to do. And I think with, the, with stress and, and brain health as well, what you're saying is that put it in the right environment and put it on the say the other way, put it in the wrong environment, give it, you know, too much stress, too much cortisol baths, and it shrinks and dies, mm. I'll call it, right? And we mm. and we train it to be focused. If if what we do is keep having it stress, 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 it's trained to stress, right? Just like lab rats get trained to whatever they're trained to. Mm -hmm. So that it's so exciting to me that we can retrain our brain. And again, we'll talk about strategies for this to calm that and to not become victim of that. And I think that's such an important thing. If anybody takes nothing away from this, know that you have choice over your brain. Yeah, absolutely. It, that is one of the most amazing things. And that's why I feel lucky that I started in the field of learning and memory and understanding, um, you know, how could it be that uh, an experience that we experience only for a moment, like our first kiss, Right. can lay down a memory that lasts, you know, for 50, 60, 70 years, if we're lucky, yes, um, yes. that, that is a powerful, powerful memory. Um, fear memories can also be powerful. So how do you want to construct the memories that make up your own personal histories? Uh, not that you can control everything around you, but, but that is a uh, part of the power of your brain and the power of thinking about how you want to live your life. Yeah. And I wonder, actually, that may be something that we'll talk about in terms of, I'll call it creating memories. There was some movie, I forgot who it was, and she was, she talked to me, she was sniffing, she was acting weird, she was sniffing something. And she said, I was, I'm making a memory. Oh, I know it was, it was Parent Trap with uh, Lindsay Lohan. Uh-huh. Oh. They had switched. They had switched. Yeah. They, they switched. And then when, so when the American girl was in England with yeah. grandpa, right. and commenting on his smell. Uh -huh. and, and he said, what are you doing? You're being so weird. I always smell like this. And she said, I'm making a memory. Ah. Um, and it's so, and smell of course is so powerful. So yes, absolutely. Yes. And of course your first kiss. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I remember my first kiss. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> to think about that for a second. Yeah, everybody um, think about your first kiss just for a moment, just to yeah. bring back that very important memory. <laughs> think about that. There was the first like that 10 year old kiss, you know, they're like weird. And then there's like the first kiss kiss. Like they're two different. Anyway. I never had the 10 year old kiss. I was too shy to have a 10 year old kiss. I just had a, like a, a later kiss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read about your later kiss in your book. Oh, yes, know about Wendy's later kiss. It was a wonderful kiss <laughs> when she was abroad. I'll leave it at that. You'll have to buy the book. <laughs> okay. Great teaser. Thank you. Right. Um, all right. Let's talk about loneliness. Um, yeah, so you know, so there's stress anxiety where we have suppressed our memories. So now how about loneliness and the brain? And there's a lot of research that, that has been reported in terms of isolation and the importance of social interaction, but, but the brain itself. And again, what is loneliness doing to people? Yeah, so I think about loneliness in the context of the importance of social interaction for a healthy brain. And um, while I would love to invent the stat that the number one um, um, element to a long life is exercise, 
I want that to be the case because I study the effects of exercise mm -hmm. on the brain. In fact, the number one feature that uh, is correlated with the longest life is the number of social interactions that you have. And they're not best friends where you, you know, exchange every present of every uh, uh, holiday. Uh, they include if you have social interactions with that when we used to have interactions with our barista at Starbucks, right. uh, a friendly little interaction, those count as well. Why? Because our brains are highly social. We, uh, people don't realize this, but, but we have brain areas, uh, visual brain areas that have evolved to be able to process specifically human faces. It's the fusiform face area of the brain. Why? Because uh, face interactions and the emotions that they show and the uh, uh, um, information that they convey are so critical for humans. So um, uh, I, I think of loneliness as the antithesis of this. Social interaction is so critical. It affects our overall longevity, number one correlate for living a longer life. Well, if you suck that out, and you, you isolate somebody, um, you are, are depriving them of all of that emotional, social support. And that is uh, just very detrimental uh, to humans. And, and so, what is, so five minutes on neuroscience, because you're a neuroscientist. So let's get the, like, what part, what's happening to the brain? What parts are, are pieces being, you know, again, parts not being stimulated? What's, what's this a little bit of the science? Not too much, because not everybody likes as much science as I do, but just a little bit of what's going on physiologically. Yeah. Like people to realize you do something and it actually has an impact in your body. I think it's important to, for people to connect that our bodies are not just these floating piles of flesh that they actually connect to our lives. Right. Right. So I think the easiest uh, example um, to give is that, um, social interaction is beneficial to us because it is rewarding. So everybody is familiar with the rewarding um, uh, um, aspects of, of the neurotransmitter dopamine. Uh, social interaction does stimulate dopamine. And so you, you take all of that away from us in a way that you know it, it, it was taken away in isolation before we figured out how to try and get it in a different way. And um, you are literally changing the, the kind of the reward uh, uh, pattern that your brain is used to. And that, that I, I think of that as the, um, uh, as the buildup for why that is extending your life. Dopamine and reward and, and that good feeling that you get with all of those social interactions that you have, the, the people that have the longest life have, you know, great family and social interactions that go on all, all the time. And um, that just builds up to um, a, a, a psychological level of, of happiness that, that, um, uh, that can then be reversed if you take that all away. And, and that's what's happening. And that is why, you know, different governments are, are appointing ministers of loneliness uh, because people don't have the social networks and the social nets anymore to bring, bring them together like, like we used to. Um, and so it's, um, it's, it's just a deprivation of uh, those good mood and happiness hormones that, are, um, uh, that, that contribute 
very simplified version of, of uh, loneliness. <laughs> and is there any corollary or parallel, I guess parallel, um, like with cortisol that any brain parts shrink or grow as a result of loneliness? So um, loneliness is, it's, um, is a form of stress. And so we started out talking about stress. Mm -hmm. um, loneliness causes stress. And so that is another uh, form of, of um, uh, uh, or a stimulus to increase mm -hmm. cortisol. So what are you doing? You kind of have a double whammy now. You have lower levels of dopamine because of the lack of interaction or even, you know, even if uh, um, you, you know, you don't feel like this kind of Zoom interaction is, is good enough, is dopamine worthy, um, you're, you're getting that uh, less dopamine. And at the same time, you are suffering from, from uh, just the, the emotion of loneliness. You have decided that, that you are lonely, you have a lower level of social interaction than, than you need, and that causes the same kind of stress response. Gotcha. A lot of, a lot, go ahead. No, go. I was gonna say, uh, there are many, many different kinds of stimuli that cause the same kind of stress response. It's not like, it's a kind of, uh, uh, they all lead to cortisol release. Right. And, and so all of the things that we were talking about, uh, um, impairment of hippocampal function, impairment of, of uh, prefrontal function comes with that same cortisol release that comes with loneliness. It is a stressor. It is one very prominent stressor, stressor these days. So everything that we were talking about in terms of um, what cortisol is doing to your brain, what it's doing to your digestive system, to your re reproductive system is absolutely applicable for the stressor of loneliness. Um, the, I'm gonna say this now, even though it would really be part of kind of the solutions, but you kind of bring it up. Um, I always want try try to get people to identify their cortisol, like to become aware, because you know when the cortisol is releasing, you know when your heart rate goes up, you know when you tense your shoulders, you know when you kind of get a tightness around your head and to become aware of it so that you can stop it in some way. Mm, that you yes. can immediately start breathing or put on a song or start something to be able to arrest and stop stop that. Like, have you done any experiments at all with people kind of catching themselves? And I think just being aware, like I, I think just people becoming aware that it's going on in their body yeah, so and yeah. start to come off of it. Yeah, no, I love that idea. And I'll share um, one of our, um, uh, new approaches in uh, the book, Good Anxiety. Um, so uh, this is the exclusive, you know, I don't know, 10 months before for the release. And um, it is literally an approach that is based on our understanding of conditioning. Um, the most common form of conditioning is fear conditioning. Mm -hmm. And everybody has experienced fear conditioning. So, you know, something bad happens and uh, uh, the, the blue balloon was there. And so now, you know, blue balloon right. is associated with a bad thing. Dr. Pavlov, thank you. Right. Yeah. But the, it turns out that um, the same structure, actually, the amygdala, it, amygdala isn't all bad, uh, can also support um, conditioning to positive stimuli, which I have named, this is not a scientific name, I've named joy conditioning. And so let me, let me give you. Uh, an example of how I use joy conditioning in my life. And this is kind of a combination of uh, going back to uh, the, the, uh, the, power, the power of smells in memories together with joy conditioning. So um, the idea is to, to find a memory or an experience that really was 
yummy and joyful that you you can can evoke. And so here's mine. I went to this yoga class. I was feeling good. I I was great. I did everything. You know, down dog. I went through the whole class. I flipped my dog. I had up dog, down dog, everything. And so feeling good. And of course, I went down and enjoying my shavasana, you know, uh, but I was feeling particularly good because I, I did a really good job in this yoga class. And in that class where I felt so good, the teacher came by, she put lavender lotion on her hands. She, you know, flicked it in front of my nose. My eyes were closed, of course. At the end? Gave me, yes. At the end, I was laying down. She gave me the most luscious, unexpected neck massage. <laughs> in Shavasana that I've ever had in my whole life. I still remember that. And so I literally walk around with a little sachet of lavender in my purse. So if there is a situation, like I know I'm gonna have the conversation with the person that is just, uh, just can't uh, uh, have a conflict with, smell that, um, smell that lavender and bring back, evoke right. that memory. And I know I'm using my memory system and evoking the, the lavender smell, but also that joy conditioning because yeah. that's very, very strong um, memory. And uh, sadly, uh, the fear memories are tend to be stronger and um, more automatic. Why? Because they they're have to do with our safety. Right. Um, but you have the option of trying to strengthen those joy memories yeah. in this way. Uh, you can evoke that. You're not just there saying, okay, all the fear memories just come at me and, and I'll try and field them off. No, uh, um, you can you can kind of shield yourself by um, enhancing and strengthening those joy uh, conditioning memories that you have. I so. totally agree with you. I've, I've got a blog that's been percolating on that exact same topic. Lovely. Yes. No, I, it's so great. And that Shavasana, like I can feel it. It sounds yes, delicious. Exactly. <laughs> Um, let me ask you a couple of things about loneliness. And you mentioned masks and you mentioned the importance of facial recognition. So what's happening and what's the impact of masks on, on that and those kind of facial cues and on kids in particular? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, way too early for actual studies to be done, but clearly uh, it is much more difficult to recognize people and get that same kind of facial recognition, even though our eyes are very um, expressive, the smile of the mouth is missing. You know, it's, it's um, and, and we see it uh, every day on TV or videos that we're looking at, um, the, the reporters are trying to speak and it's so much harder to watch a reporter with a mask on talk. You know, it's, you, you miss all of the, you, you start to appreciate the wonderful expressiveness of, of the human face. And, um, uh, you know, they've done uh, studies in, in uh, not in humans, but in non-human primates about what happens if you get deprived of, of uh, uh, facial expression. And it, it does terrible things to the visual system. Yeah. So luckily, uh, um, um, baby at home will still have unmasked mom and dad. So that, that will be their, their good stimulus. But yes, it, it, it's harder to interact. I think <laughs> friendships and connections might be harder to form in, in our elementary schools uh, because, um, again, this is not based on, on the science, but because I know that facial um, expression and interaction is so important for that social interaction that, that they're having. So, yeah. Well, and it's so interesting to me, again, what COVID has done and the fear that's put into people, 
So I'm, I go to the dog park every day hmm. and I go, we're outside and I hike, you know, we hike over the <laughs> stuff. Bless you. And, um, people aren't looking at each other. Like they mm-hmm. think that if I look at you, I'm going to get COVID. So that you're not like, I'm in the park for God's sakes. Look at me, look someone in the eyes and smile a little bit. Like we yeah. should all try extra hard when we're, you know, whether you have a mask on or not, don't yeah. be afraid to look at people that, and it, and it feels good. You get that. Um, let me ask one other question about facial. So again, we're having a great time on Zoom and, I, and we were talking about how stimulating it is just to, to connect. Yeah. Um, is, I mean, Zoom is better than nothing, right? Yeah. But versus, but versus in person, like again, part of the system's deprivation. Um, <laughs> are we lacking when it's through Zoom, other, you know, the pheromones, just the, the touch, the proximity, like that piece of the fuel of the brain of human interaction. In, yeah. in this world. I mean, I think we miss, um, I am more than my head that's showing right here. I'm also expressive in my body. And, um, and that's what, that's, what's missing. Um, uh, uh, real lighting and, and, you know, uh, um, um, there, there's so much that, that is missing that, that yes, I do miss everybody. Uh, everybody misses. Mm-hmm. Um, it is better than nothing. I mean, video, um, it's, uh, voices are also very expressive. So, so phone is fine, but, um, when people can stand having one more zoom meeting, when I'm doing my social zooms, I, I do really, really appreciate seeing, um, into, uh, the little square of my, my friend's mm-hmm. life. And, um, and that, that can be, uh, that can be helpful. But here again, I think um, mindset is very, very important. So uh, my personal mindset is that um, this is this is better than nothing, and it's temporary. And um, I, I, you know, I've had to spend the whole semester trying to figure out and be creative about ways. You know, even if I can't stand in front of you, my 140 students that were in my class. How can I be more interactive? Um, uh, how can we use the chat in a better way so that it's actually even easier uh, to ask me questions and get them answered than it is to raise your hand in person that people don't like to do? They still don't like to do that. So um, uh, it's it's uh, it really is a, a mindset. And while I, I acknowledge that I would much rather be sitting on the other side of the desk with you so I can, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, um, connect with you in a different way. This is great. And uh, uh, my brain is able to appreciate your your intelligence and your your questions uh, just as well uh, on this in in this way. Gotcha. Yeah, no, it's got to be so hard. And again, the creativity that this whole process has brought on for people has been just great. Let's talk about one other aspect real quickly because it's very similar to loneliness. Um, and then we'll talk about what else people can do, um, which is stimulation. That mm-hmm. you know, a corollary of being lonely would be not, you know, lonely and alone and just lacking in stimulation in general. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you mean the lack of stimulation? Correct. Uh-huh. Again, when you're home, and even though, you know, I've, I've got a house, I got my husband, I got my daughter, I got my dog, but it's rep- even that is repetitive stimulation, right? So there's the lack of stimulation and then there's new stimulation. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's the two aspects of it. 
Right, right. Well, um, uh, what I would say is that our brains are, um, um, are wired to focus on novelty. Um, and it's, again, partially a, a danger kind of situation. Uh, you want to be oriented to novel things in case they are dangerous. But novelty also leads to um, things that are more memorable. So what, thing, what makes something memorable? You know, repetition, novelty, emotional resonance, and if it's associated with other things that you know. And um, so, so I think that that uh, sameness uh, can lead to... Uh, well, it certainly leads to the feeling that so many of us have. Is it Monday or Tuesday? It, it was all the same. I had to eat several times yesterday and I had to eat several times the day before. It was all the same. It's true. I, I count the day. Literally, I go, okay, wait. Three days ago was when I didn't have to get up and do get, get to my desk. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so that, that makes it... Um, uh, when you don't have those, I mean, it, this is an appreciation when we were out and about and uh, days could be uh, um, uh, um, highlighted by, oh, I got to go to that restaurant that day, or I got to go to that store uh, that day. And and we don't have that anymore. It's just not the same with, with online shopping or online ordering of food uh, that we've all been doing. And so, uh, yes, that, that can lead to uh, just, just, as you were saying, lack of lack of stimulation, um, and that that is uh, that is kind of the uh, antithesis of what you want to do to make your brain stronger. So you want to move your body, you want to stimulate your brain with interesting, novel things, learning, um, learning new language. There's all all sorts of um, um, new deals uh, now, especially for Christmas. Learn this, learn a master class of this, learn this language and that language. Well, that's very good for your brain. And also, of course, um, uh, um, good food and, and making sure you're nourishing your brain and your body in, um, in a good way. And uh, again, uh, this, this could be, uh, uh, lockdown could be uh, an excuse to, you know, pile on the Oreos and, and uh, uh, stock up on the Doritos. Or you can say, well, actually, um, I, 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 I realized how much weight I was holding because I went out to dinner so much before the lockdown. I lost weight, mainly because I was cooking my own food. Not that I'm a terrible cook, but I, I certainly don't cook as richly as the restaurants I was going out to. So that was an interesting uh, new positive observation. I love losing that five pounds. <laughs> You're probably the only human to have lost weight during lockdown. That's not true. That's not, there's a subset that, that started exercising more and started realizing that they, um, there was much, I, well, I started realizing I had much more control over exactly what I put in my body, not what, what store I was passing by when I was hungry and I was on the move and, oh, let's just get that Starbucks 3000 calorie, you know, uh, a whipped cream thing. Um, but, but, you know, I'm never going to have that because I never make that for the, for myself. So another, another little, uh, silver lining. And you get to have portion control as well at home. Somehow you yeah. get at the restaurant, they give you the big plate and you feel a lot. You think that that, that, you know, platter size serving. <laughs> exactly. Right. No, no, here. I mean, we, we always eat on salad plates here. I yes. never serve full dinner plates. Yeah. Uh, helps a lot. The, so, um, just to, to underline it, that the, to, in a stimulating environment, you're, you know, you're growing your brain cells. So 
opposite is true that in a less stimulating environment or a repetitive environment, same thing that we're kind of shrinking brain parts. Um, well, so, I mean, I think of it in terms of what you're lacking in the areas that we know will strengthen the brain. And I also want to make one point. Um, it's not everything, not every stimulation is going to grow your brain. There is one thing that we'll know that we know that will stimulate the growth of brand new cells in your hippocampus. That is exercise. You're not going to get that with learning new language. I'm not saying that's not good for your brain, but you don't get that. So this is part of the reason if you want, and remember the hippocampus is that vulnerable structure that is very vulnerable to stress and anxiety. It's also very vulnerable to aging. So every single one of us should want as many shiny new hippocampal cells in our hippocampus as we can get, you know, be, be one of those people that just hoards your new hippocampal cells. And there's one way to get that, which is to start to move, get your heart rate up and do that on a regular basis. That is the best way to grow your brain cells. These other things are great. Sleep, very important for your brain, normal sleep patterns. And that's something that can, can be enhanced unless you watch too much Netflix um, in, in, in lockdown, uh, learning languages and um, uh, meditation we haven't talked about uh, um, and, uh, and, and again, food, uh, uh, fuel for the body and the brain, all good things. Those things go out of whack, um, partially inspired by this lack of stimulation or the same stimulation over and over and over, you start missing out on, on these opportunities to strengthen and grow your brain. Well, and it's interesting, you talked about multi-sensory events, right? So that, you know, learn a thing, fine, taste it, smell it, hear it, so much more powerful in, in the impact on the brain. And the exercise program that you love and that you did a lot of studying on Intensati is a multi-stimulating program because it's not just physical, but it's also the affirmations and the statements that are being made. At yes. Time. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I, I um, have always considered this workout intensati that uh, uh, is this combination of physical movements from kickbox and dance and yoga and martial arts um, with positive spoken affirmations that was developed by uh, Patricia Moreno, an amazing fitness instructor. Um, I, I consider it, you know, a supercharged motivation to move your body. Once you get over the awkwardness of actually yelling things out that I think all of us that have done it, it's like that first time I wasn't so sure about it. It definitely took me a minute. Yeah, yeah. But, but once you do it and you feel the power of that declaration, right. it is, it is, uh, it's a huge motivator uh, to many of us <laughs> to continue exercising. And, and uh, you asked me uh, in our earlier conversation, you know, what does that do for your brain? Right. Well, I've never studied it directly, but we do know that positive, uh, positive thoughts uh, in psychological studies can improve your mood. Just, just uh, um, uh, having one group of saying positive things about yourself, about your world, uh, and comparing your mood after that to say neutral or negative things, that will absolutely improve your mood. Exercise itself stimulates dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline release in the brain. So what Intensati does beautifully 
pairing physical movements and these uh, wonderful affirmations that, that Patricia is so uh, genius at coming up with the juiciest ones um, is going to really boost your, uh, your mood, which I think uh, I, I will speak for you and say that, you know, we feel this, the people that do intensati yes. uh, feel this uh, beautifully well. I'm sure there's other things that can motivate people with with uh, uh, with different things, but this is a beautiful motivator, and um, everybody needs a little bit of motivation. Even even those of us that that do exercise regularly, I I, I take all the motivation for exercise that I can take, and that's part of the reason why I love um, taking and teaching intensity. That's it, yeah, well, and I think again, so now let's talk about so exercise, something that people can do to be able to strengthen the brain and to fuel the brain and to counteract what's going on in this. Um, and I think as you were talking about, you know, just these multi, multi-sensory actions, whether it's cooking, whether it's like, you know, new experiences. So yes. also, right. So new experiences that people can be doing no matter what it is. Yes. To be able exactly. to do it. Yes. Yes. Um, and that, that I'll just point out that that is something that, um, um, one has more time for when one's locked in. Uh, I absolutely took advantage of that in explorations of new things that I can cook, new directions that I can go. I made tofu for the first time in my kitchen. It's actually Whoa. that's <laughs> ambitious. No, it's you actually gnocchi. <laughs> You're making tofu. I'm making gnocchi. Well, my daughter did. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. Same. Same idea. Same idea. One's a little healthier than the other, but every so often you need a little milky. It was butternut squash milky. So you had a little. Yeah, great. With sage butter. Does that sound good? Yes. You like delicious. So we did, you mentioned meditation briefly again. So because there's the buildup part and then there's the calm down part. It looks like that people need to do a combination of those things, things that are fueling the brain and then also calming this cortisol, which is so powerful and so pervasive during this stressful time. Yeah, yeah. so that's a great point. So meditation, absolutely. Many studies have shown that it decreases stress levels, it decreases anxiety levels. It even improves immunity, uh, which is something that we were just talking about right before. So it, it heightens uh, immunity levels with uh, meditation. But from a neuroscience point of view, I like to emphasize the fact that um, even the simple breath meditation, uh, which is uh, object, it's called object meditation. The object is the breath. So you're focusing on the breath, very, very common. You do it in lots of yoga classes. That is essentially a training for your prefrontal cortex. And so you are, uh, you, are, you are training your prefrontal cortex to stay attentive, stay um, in that, that uh, direction of focusing on the breath. And um, that has a consequence. You are uh, literally long-term meditators have increased size of uh, some of the most anterior parts, the front part of the prefrontal cortex, areas nine and 10 are, are increased. And uh, they also have uh, enhancement of a part of the brain that um, identifies when you are distracted. Very important part of the brain. It's like, oh yeah, I know that thought came in and it's, it's taken my attention. Now I'm gonna go back to my breath. There is a part of the brain, it's called the insula, that is um, uh, important for, for uh, identification of distraction. That is also enhanced and enlarged in, in long-term meditators. 
So it's not just a calming, it's also a building up of a very important higher cognitive function, your ability to um, determine where you are focused so that you do not, perhaps you can take your focus away from scary COVID ideas mm-hmm. when you want to, not ignore them, but take your focus away. That is a very powerful skill um, that can come with long-term meditation. So, and there are lots of, this is this is the constant thing on meditation, right? Everyone goes, is the people that love it and can deal with it. And then there's the ones that go, I can't do it. Yeah. So is there a, you know, is something better than nothing? You know, and there's all yes. sorts of versions. There's two minute meditations. There's walking meditation. There's, you know, they say that doing a puzzle is a meditation in some ways, a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, for everything, uh, this, this goes for both exercise and meditation, that starting small is the key. So a two breath meditation is the start of a meditation. A two step walk is the, is the start of the walk. And so many people think, ah, oh, 10 minutes, I can't sit for 10 minutes. That's just impossible. You know, walk around the block. Not, so don't go right. around the block, go to the mailbox and come back. Right. Um, uh, that, that is the start. And, and um, I, I think that is the start to any habit. Um, um, there's the idea of, you know, tiny habits. Start very, very small and be kind to yourself. Uh, don't say, ah, you know, if you don't do it this way, you fail. No, you, you start small and you should be happy and encourage yourself. And I try and follow that no matter where I am uh, on the journey. And it's really changed the way that I, um, I'm able to um, take advantage of my own brain plasticity. And there's also like, you may have time in the morning, you may have time in the evening for longer periods of time, but even during the day, honestly, my routine before I do these Facebook lives is to just sit for a couple of moments and just breathe and have the space to you know, get rid of the whatever meetings I was on beforehand, whatever conversations and, and have, have a moment of fresh yes. um, to calm it all down before I came into. Yeah. So you can take those breathing moments. Absolutely. And, and people need to appreciate that, that it's not like, oh, you mean you didn't sit down in, in, in cross-legged position on a cushion for, for 20 minutes minimum and, and do that? No, just, just breathe in and out, clear your mind. I actually, uh, in my, um, my interns that I, I manage about 10 interns at the beginning of our meeting, we, we literally have a two minute quick silent meditation at the beginning, just to be there. Um, and, and to appreciate that we're about to, you know, interact with each other. And uh, I think they really appreciate it. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally love that. Get everybody centered and together. Um, we have a question from somebody about if you have any favorite brain healthy foods. Yeah, you know, um, my favorite way to um, enjoy, uh, enjoy brain healthy foods is just to, especially at dinner time, um, um, my rule is two vegetables for one kind of main course. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, minimizing the the piece of chicken or the piece of uh, uh, salmon that I used to think, okay, that's that's the one thing I'm going to eat, and uh, bringing in veggies and and um, salads as sides uh, to really up the fresh fruits and vegetables. I, I was vegan actually for several years. And at first it made me feel amazing. And then I had terrible cravings for 
for for the meats that I the proteins that I'd given up, and so I brought it back. Um, uh, but I do feel best with it, the smaller portion of you know your salad plate idea. It is a a smaller portion of the of the main protein and bigger portions of uh, the vegetables, and that makes me um, feel good and and kind of inspires me to find fun um, ways to prepare vegetables and salads and dressings and things like that. So that's my favorite way to kind of bring um, the Mediterranean diet, which there's a lot of evidence that that is so helpful for long-term brain health into my own, onto my own dinner plate, I should say. Love it. All right, Wendy. Any other last minute parting shots? I think, you know, we've covered a lot in terms of meditation, cortisol, multi-stimulation, and importantly from you, and I love that you're so positive about it to remind everybody, this is temporary. We will get out of this. We will get through it. Yes. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, uh, I try and see the silver lining on things and, and I, I know I'm not the only person, uh, where I've started to use cleaning my apartment as part of my exercise routine. So my apartment is cleaner than has it ever been in the, in my whole life. I regrouted my bathroom all by myself and wow. it takes a lot of abs to, you know, to crouch down in there and, and pick it out and put it back in. But it made me feel so empowered that I could regrout my own bathroom. I'm impressed. So it's like I never, ever would have done that. Right. And I would have had dirty grout for many more years, but now it's all clean. So um, well, I, and I, the I, challenge of that, that you challenge yourself. You had to yeah. learn about it. You had to exactly. YouTube. I had to YouTube it, but it was empowering. It gave me exercise. It taught me something brand new. It gave me a bragging point that I get to bring to my, to my interviews. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I invite everybody to find that because um, in their own homes. Uh, and I also love that at the same time, I made my home nicer at, yeah. the, at, at the same time. And um, I have a new appreciation, a new love of my home. And I invite everybody to uh, try and find that because uh, you know, that, that's kind of making, making lemonade out of lemons. All right. Well, Dr. Wendy Suzuki, you're wonderful. Thank you. Um, her website, wendysuzuki.com. Her book, Healthy Brain, Healthy, Healthy Brain, Happy Life. That is available all over on Amazon and anywhere that you buy books, including local booksellers. And then right, let's, let's go those local people. Yes, Not that it Amazon, but let's go those local people as well. And watch for her book next year on anxiety. So thank you everybody so much. Next week, we're on, I think we're about winter waking um, and trying to see what we can do with Dr. Lisa Young. Um, so thank you, Wendy, very much. Thank you, Sarah. So great to speak to you. Bye-bye, everybody. We're living in an unprecedented time when trust in our media and news sources are at an all-time low. It seems that everyone has an agenda, if not a political one, then a business one, as media companies are beholden to advertisers or shareholders. Well, not at bottom line. We're a family-owned business and have been free from the influence of advertising since our start nearly 50 years ago, focused solely on helping people live happier, more fulfilled lives. Our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, provides advice that can be put into action each day helping people do better and feel better. Thousands of top, highly respected, truth-seeking experts have appeared in Bottom Line Personal, 
on topics in all areas of life, including healthcare, financial planning, home improvement tips, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.